Well, look, there's a lot of you here today. Uh, this must be what Joel Olstein feels like every Sunday, <laughs> except for the hair. But we haven't tried to fill the building like this since uh, we dedicated it some 15 years ago. So appreciate uh, putting up with a little inconvenience as we bring everybody in. And there's even folks over in the overflow room. Welcome to you today. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul made this stunning statement. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, if Jesus did not literally and physically, bodily rise from the grave, then go home. Uh, Christianity is a farce. Now, that may seem a little unsettling to some until we realize what a firm foundation the resurrection is built upon. Now, there are four facts about Jesus of Nazareth upon which almost all historians agree, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, whether they're skeptics or they're affirming. These four facts about Jesus of Nazareth, there's practical unanimity, the history is settled, so to speak, about these. And if you can believe these four facts, then you should be able to believe in the resurrection, which I think is the best and most reasonable explanation for them. So over the next 15 minutes or so, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at these four facts. For those of us who are already Christians and believers, I hope this will be affirming. For those who may be skeptics or may be struggling with faith, I hope this will give us something serious to think about. Fact number one. Jesus of Nazareth was executed by crucifixion. Jesus of Nazareth was executed by crucifixion. All the gospel records agree they crucified him. Now, but for some who are skeptics, the gospels may not be compelling because they were obviously written by those who were biased toward Jesus. But there are other what's called extra-biblical writings that refer to Jesus, uh, including, for instance, the Jewish historian Josephus and the Roman historian, Tacitus. In fact, there are 10 non-Christian writers who reference Jesus within 150 years of his life. Now, by comparison, there are nine non-Christian writers who reference Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome during Jesus' lifetime. So how many for Jesus? 10. Non-Christian writers. How many for Tiberius Caesar? Nine. When you include Christians who reference Jesus within 150 years of his life, the tally goes up to 43 to 10 in favor of Jesus. When you take them all together, just the 10 non-Christian writers who tell us about Jesus within 150 years of his life, here's what we know about him. Jesus of Nazareth lived. He lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar. He lived a virtuous life. He was called a worker of wonders. He had a brother named James. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. His disciples believed he rose from the dead. His disciples were willing to die for this belief. Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. And his disciples denied the Roman gods and worshipped Jesus as God. This first one is an easy one. Jesus was an historical person, and he died, was executed by crucifixion. 
All right, the second one is pretty easy as well. That tomb where Jesus was buried wound up empty. That tomb was empty. Luke 24, 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Some of the earliest polemics against Christianity were explanations about why the tomb was empty. Some say that Jesus wasn't really dead, he just kind of fainted and revived in the tomb, and later on he exited. The earliest argument was that the disciples of Jesus stole the body out of the tomb. Now I'm really not really talking about right now who's telling the truth, who's not, but just pointing out that these arguments presume and assume an empty tomb. The tomb was empty. Now, Jesus rose early on what we call Easter Sunday. The first people out to the tomb early that morning were women who were going to embalm the body. They found the stone rolled away, went inside, saw that it was empty. They ran back to where the disciples were staying. And then a couple of those disciples, Peter and John, did what a lot of us would do. They ran to the tomb to check it out for themselves found that the tomb was empty, then they ran back to where the disciples were staying. Now, as this is a, a parenthetical thought here. Indulge me. As a semi-serious runner, one thing I want to know, one question that comes up to my mind is, how far were these people running? There was a lot of running going on that day. How far were they running? Well, to know that, we need to know what the location of the tomb was, and the location where these disciples were staying. There is a traditional understanding, a location, of where Jesus was buried in Jerusalem. Uh, some of you may have taken a trip to Israel. You have visited Jerusalem. I'm not going to put you on the spot. How many people here have been to Israel? Okay. Several have been to Israel, gone to Jerusalem. When you go there, you're going to be taken to a site that's the traditional site where Jesus was buried. There's a church there. It's called the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And I've been there as well. And there's a cave, and you can walk inside, and you can look around. That's the traditional site. There is also a traditional site where the disciples had been staying. It's the presumed site of the upper room where they had fellowshiped the Passover with Jesus earlier on. And they continued to use that upper room. The disciples did. That site is known as the cynical, the cynical this upper room, traditional site where the disciples were. So if these two sites are authentic, they're running from the cynical to that side of Jesus' tomb, where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is. That distance is three-quarters of a mile, or 1.2 kilometers. I know one guy who every Easter, he runs 1.2 kilometers and he calls it the Jesus is risen 1K. Three quarters of a mile is, is the distance between where we are right now and the quarter of 43rd Avenue. I, I measured it. The average person can walk it in 15 minutes. A semi-serious runner like myself can run it in about 12 minutes. A more serious runner like my friend Mike Smith, he's a serious runner. He can run a kilometer in about six minutes. That's what he averages on his 5Ks. 
I think Peter probably ran it in 12 minutes and he was outrun by the younger, fitter John who probably did it in six minutes. But see, why are you going into all this detail about the distance? Because I want us to think about the implications of the geography and the logistics of the empty tomb. After Jesus' tomb was found to be empty, over the next 40 days, Jesus began making appearances to individuals and groups of people, up to 500 at one time. Where were these appearances taking place? In and around Jerusalem. And as word began to spread in that city that the tomb was empty and some people were claiming to have seen Jesus alive, then a lot of those folks were going to do what Peter and John did. They were going to go where Peter and John went. They're going to go and see for themselves. They're going to look and see that empty tomb. A lot of people over those 40 days had the opportunity to do that. In fact, even if those locations that I mentioned are not the authentic locations... The circumference around the city of Jerusalem is two and a half miles. You're within walking distance of anywhere in Jerusalem. Now, we're going to come back. Hold, push pause and hold that thought about the empty tomb and the people who saw it. We're going to come back to that when we get to fact number four. But we're just looking at four facts that all historians agree about Jesus of Nazareth. Number one, Jesus of Nazareth was executed by crucifixion. Number two, his tomb was found to be empty. Here's the third one. The apostles believed that they had seen Jesus alive. The apostles believed they had seen Jesus alive. Uh, Luke 24, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. The apostles believed they had seen Jesus alive. They preached it and they died for it. Now think for a minute about the philosophical and cultural and religious milieu in which these apostles were proclaiming a resurrected Jesus. Greek, Roman culture, and philosophy. They did not believe in resurrection, the Greeks and the Romans. They did not want a resurrection. To them, the body imprisoned the soul, and upon death, the soul was set free from the body. So they weren't looking for resurrection. The Jews, many of them, did believe in resurrection, but as a nation and at the end of time. Not an individual resurrection, Jesus of Nazareth, within time. This was a radically new and different theology of resurrection. In fact, a worldview that the apostles were preaching. Where did it come from? Whatever they saw, it transformed their lives. Whatever they saw. Peter went from being a coward to a bold proclaimer of the gospel. James, who had been a physical brother or half-brother of Jesus, a total unbeliever, a skeptic, a critic, became the leader of the Jerusalem church after Jesus appeared to him. I mean, what would it take? 
for you to believe that your brother or sister was God in the flesh. Come on. Take a lot. Philip was a doubter until Jesus appeared to him and he said, my Lord and my God. And then there's the Apostle Paul, who as Saul had been the greatest persecutor of the church and then overnight became the greatest proclaimer of the church. Paul, an historical person who through his travels and his preaching turned the Western world of his time upside down. He says it was because he saw Jesus alive. All of these apostles, or at least 11 of them, died refusing to recant their testimony. Now, we all know, and it's been often said, that some people are willing to die for what they believe to be the truth, but no one is willing to die for what he knows to be a lie. In preparing for this message, I read an interesting study put out by the Death Penalty Information Center. The study said that out of 143 criminals who were exonerated in 2019, nine of them had falsely confessed to crimes in order to avoid the death penalty. They had not committed the crime, but they were being prosecuted and the death penalty was on the table. So just to get the death penalty off the table, they falsely confessed to crimes. And we're talking heinous crimes like rape, and murder. People will say anything to save their neck. But these apostles like Peter and Paul, who stood before Nero in Rome, and Nero said, here's the deal. You recant your testimony that you saw Jesus alive and you can live, refused, and instead chose death. Because they believed and were convinced they had seen Jesus alive. Now, that's historical. Jesus of Nazareth was executed by crucifixion. That tomb was empty. The apostles were convinced they'd seen Jesus alive. Now, here's fact number four. A church was founded in Jerusalem. A church was founded right there in Jerusalem. Acts 2.41, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. All of the Jewish messianic movements of the first century died when their founders died. Except for the Jesus movement. Jesus, a messianic leader, was arrested. He was crucified. The most ignominious death possible at that time erasing the possibility that he would be the kind of messianic leader that the leaders of the Jewish people had expected or that they had imagined. And yet, his followers went from being around 100 people at the time of his death to 30 million followers around the early 4th century when the emperor of Rome, Constantine himself, converted to Christianity. This explosive growth happened in the teeth of the most fierce persecution ever experienced by the most powerful empire on the planet, the empire of Rome. What kind of a church was it? It was a Jewish church. 
For the first 10 years, the church was made up of Jews, and they were meeting on Sunday. (laughs) On Sunday. What would cause these Jews to transfer their ancestral day of worship for 15 centuries from Saturday to Sunday? That happens to be the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, on what we call Pentecost, what we call Pentecost Sunday. The apostles were in the temple courtyards. This would have been about 50 days after Jesus had been crucified. So Jesus was crucified during Passover, Jewish feast of Passover. About 50 days later, you get Pentecost. The prefix penta means five, so it's 50 days after Passover. There are thousands and hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims in Jerusalem for Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. Every Jew at that time wanted to make at least one pilgrimage to the city of Jerusalem. No matter where they lived around the world, they wanted to go to Jerusalem. Like a Muslim wants to go to Mecca, the Jew wanted to go to Jerusalem, either at Passover or at Pentecost. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that the population of Jerusalem swelled during these feasts to around one million people. So there are thousands of Jews in the city. And on the day of Pentecost, the apostles are teaching in what's probably the temple courtyards because there are acres there and only a place like that where all of these Jews could gather. And Peter stands up and he preaches the first gospel sermon. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here's an excerpt. Acts 2, 23. He says says this to the Jews present. You, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus of Nazareth to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. Therefore, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Notice the emphasis on resurrection. Remember where they are. They're in Jerusalem. How did the people respond? Verse 37. When the people heard this, they scoffed at Peter and said, No, he didn't. Jesus' tomb is only one kilometer from here. We've been there and his body is still in it. No, that's not right. That's not how that verse reads, is it? Verse 37 reads like this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? But why not that first reaction? Why didn't they say, no, no, that's not right? Because as these Jews are streaming into Jerusalem between Passover and Pentecost, think between Thanksgiving and Christmas, about the same distance, as they're coming in, the Jews are going to visit two places. The first place they're going to go is to the temple. They've got to see the temple. That year, the second place they're going to go is to see the tomb of Jesus. Because everyone is talking about it. In fact, one Cleopas is recorded in Luke as saying this to whom he believed to be a stranger in town. Luke 24, 18. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? It was the talk of the town. He went on to explain Jesus of Nazareth. A man accredited by miracles. We thought it was the Messiah. Our leaders put him to death. Now his tomb is empty and people are saying they're seeing him alive. 
Haven't you heard about this? See, everybody was talking about it. Every Jewish pilgrim who had come to the city made a beeline for the temple and then for the tomb, which was where? Within walking distance. They all knew it was empty. When Peter preached this sermon in Jerusalem, God raised him from the dead. They all knew there were eyewitness reports of a resurrected Jesus, and some of them knew some of the eyewitnesses. So when Peter said this, they were cut to the heart. They believed. And they said, what shall we do? These are four historical facts. This is a simple cause and effect argument. These four facts are the effects. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. That tomb was empty. The apostles believed they saw Jesus alive. And a church exploded into existence in Jerusalem. The question is, what is the most reasonable cause, the most reasonable explanation for these four facts? And I believe, and most of us believe, it is that Jesus literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead. You can believe that. So that's what happened. But then so what? Why is that important? It's important because Jesus made some dramatic, potentially life-altering claims. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He claimed that our biggest problem was that we have sinned against God. And we need to repent and we need forgiveness. And he claimed that he was the only way to the Father. That's what he claimed. Not many people have made those kinds of claims. Nobody, no other world religious leader has made those kind of claims. But Jesus did. And when he rose from the grave, he brought the receipts. This is the proof that God offers to the world. This is the messianic proof. The Bible says that the resurrection is God's proof that he is going to judge all people by one name, the name of Jesus Christ, and save people by that same name. So, I hope that's affirming to most of us here today. And if there are some who have doubted or have struggled with faith, and maybe like Peter's first audience upon hearing the gospel are cut to the heart, and maybe asking the question, what should I do? I would answer with the exact words of Peter when they asked him. He said, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which means by the authority of Jesus and into the possession of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and for our fathers and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, most of us here have been cut to the heart at some point in the past, and maybe at many places along our spiritual journey. We simply want to thank you and praise you today for the resurrection of Christ, that you have not asked us to believe without evidence, but you have given us more than enough to come to faith and to affirm our faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.